This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. I just wanted to share a tool with you that I used with great success. Well, I shouldn't say great success because there were moments when I didn't think to use the tool. And in those moments, I was completely freaked out. But uh, a tool that when I used it recently during a stressful situation really worked for me. And that tool is relaxing on purpose. As some of you may know, I am studying, I am finishing up my studying to become a restorative yoga teacher. I want to teach restorative yoga and meditation along with journaling. But I was in a situation over the last couple of weeks that I was able to use one of the tools that I've learned from my teacher, Jillian Pransky. And she teaches to relax on purpose. So I was called away very suddenly to go to Florida to see my mom who had um, a procedure, a medical procedure, and she was great after the procedure. And then there was a complication. So suddenly on a Monday morning, I was called, you know, mom says, I need you down here. And I was in Florida by Tuesday afternoon. And it was um, a rough looking situation. The situation looked really bad. She had injured her leg after receiving some stents into her heart. The heart is working great, but there was an injury uh, to the leg where they went in, the vein in her groin. And it was really, she was in bad shape and, you know, she was scared and traumatized and felt weak and she needed care. And I, you know, it's, it's, it was an honor, of course, to be there. Whenever you have the opportunity to care for your mother, it is an honor to do so. But it was such a um, turbulent situation in my head. Like, I thought mom was fine. And then I get a phone call that says, get on a plane. Then I make all sorts of accommodations to be able to leave my life for a few days and get a flight and and find myself in Florida on Tuesday afternoon when I didn't expect to be there. And also the stress of what am I going to find? What am I going to find when I get there? Is is this really life-threatening? And that took a day or two to determine. So there's trauma and there's stress and I'm relaying information back to my siblings and I'm helping my mom. And OPS, something really important to know is I'm awful in these situations. Don't call me in case of an emergency. However, my mother did call me because she knows I'm an excellent caretaker and that once the emergency is over, I can prepare meals, I can keep you comfortable, I can keep people away from you so you can rest, I can clean, I can be quiet. Um, So I was the right person for the job after a fashion, you know, after the trauma ran away. So I found myself in Florida. I'm not a fan of Florida. It's very hot there in July. I found myself dealing with an emotional situation with my mom. And at one point, I found myself in Walmart. I haven't been in a Walmart since 2019. But mom needed some stuff, and I'm the person that had to get it. And I thought at one point, I'm in Florida and in Walmart and dealing with an emotional situation. And I think people may read about me in the paper because I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Did you ever feel that way? And through the grace of God, I remembered Jillian Pransky's voice 
Well, I had, had been reading her book all the way down on the plane. But the practice is when you find yourself in these situations or when you find yourself on your yoga mat, you relax on purpose. So we practice relaxing on purpose. So in stressful situations, we can access that tool. And by golly, I did. One thought was, I'm going to have a flip out in the Walmart. You know, I could feel myself. I, I'm crying you know, people don't know me, so I don't care that I'm crying in Walmart. I'm crying. My, my breath is getting short. <sighs> and I think, yeah, this is a big one. And then I remembered relax on purpose. So I started to deepen my breath, land in my body, feel my feet on the floor, feel my hands on the cart, look around. There's a pink blouse. There's some blue jeans. There's the light in the ceiling, you know, connecting to what's around me. And then relax my scrunched up face and relaxed my scrunched up belly. And by George, it works. It works. So I share this with you because it's definitely a superpower and it's definitely something that needs practice. Of course. And aren't I lucky because I got to practice it again in the Winn-Dixie. I went to shop, get my mom some supplies, and I find myself in a grocery store that I'm not familiar with. And they eat different foods down there, I'm just saying. And they hide the bread. Where is the bread? And I thought, I'm going to ask somebody. I'm going to ask somebody where the bread is. And then I said, no, I can't open my mouth right now because I'm on high alert. If I open my mouth, I'm going to start crying. I'm going to be telling the lady in the red vest from the Winn-Dixie everything that's going on. And she didn't look like she wanted to hear it. So I'm wandering around the Winn-Dixie and I'm looking for the bread. And I remember again, relax on purpose. Why don't you try it right now? Land wherever you are. Wherever you are listening to this, you can feel if you're sitting, your body relaxing into the thing you're sitting on, or if you're walking, feel your feet on the earth and arrive in your body. Feel yourself welcoming yourself to the moment. Welcome to this moment. Welcome to being alive in this body. And then relax on purpose. Relax your face, relax your eyes, relax your belly. See if you can do a body scan and feel where you're holding on to something and relax on purpose. Immediately, the pressure comes down, your heart rate comes down, your breathing deepens. And what happens is, from this place of stability, you can make better decisions. From this place of stability, you can access more of yourself. From this place of, I don't want to say ease, because I, ne I never made it to ease. <laughs> but from this place near ease, you can find yourself and say to yourself, okay, Casey, you know, asking that lady for the bread is an option. But also just looking up and reading the signs, that's an option too. And I found that they put the bread in the same aisle with the wine. Okay, Florida, I'm liking you a little better now. So that is a, a superpower I'm working on, and I hope my sharing it with you helps you. If you find yourself in a stressful situation, relax on purpose. Find yourself in traffic, relax on purpose. And we don't do it just because it feels better. We do it because we can make our best decisions from a clear place.
Our next guest, David McCraney, wants to teach us another superpower, and this superpower may actually change the world. The book is called How Minds Change, The Surprising Science of Belief, Opinion, and Persuasion. And David McGraney's intention in writing the book is to make a difference in the world, to get people to talk to each other again, to bridge the great divide in our country. He wants to be part of the solution. Something to ask yourself is, when was the last time you tried to change someone's mind? And how did it go? And how do you feel when you find out you're wrong or when someone disagrees with you? David McCraney found that most often we would rather belong to our group and our group's belief systems than be right. Belonging matters so much. How minds change. It's been called a fascinating journey through the neuroscience of psychology. David McRaney, so happy to talk to you. What kind of person writes a book like this? I call myself a science journalist. You know, in the end of the day, I'm just a person who is lucky enough to get serially obsessed with things and then chase them down until I feel like, okay, I think I can be a a more complete human being now that I get this. Uh, I'm not quite stumbling and fumbling in the dark as much as I was before. And this is this book is a big example of that, where I really wanted to understand, and I realized at some point I didn't, how, how do we change our minds? Because it's very clear that sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, and sometimes the entire nation changes its mind very quickly after refusing to do so after a long period of time. And that's what led to this book project. And I ended up changing my own mind about a lot of these topics before I got to the end of the the whole investigation. All right. People are listening now and saying, I already know I want to know more. So what is your website? Let's get that out of the way. (laughs) I guess I have two. One is for my podcast and all that stuff that goes along with it. That's youarenotsosmart.com. And then for stuff like this, book projects and other things, just everything is under davidmccraney.com. davidmccraney.com. You are not so smart.com. Oh, I, I'm so glad that title was available for you. <laughs> That's so great. What made you say, I'm going to tackle this topic? Well, it kind of goes along with the you are not so smart thing. I had been doing, I had written a book with that title and I had a podcast where I invited people on and we did this for many years. I talked about motivated reasoning mostly, which is the the way we find a way to justify what we think, feel, and believe, the way we cherry-pick evidence to support the conclusions that we want to, to have, or the other ones uh, support the things we already think we know about the world. And I had been I gave a lecture once in the Q&A. Someone was asking me how they could reach out to a family member who had fallen into a conspiracy theory, and I told them you couldn't, and it was like locking my keys in my car. I felt immediately, I don't know if I feel that all the way, even mm-hmm. though I've been kind of proselytizing that. And at the same time that happened, the uh, attitudes and norms in the United States concerning uh, LGBTQ issues and same-sex marriage had flipped very rapidly in that same time period, and I just had this thought experiment appear in my mind of, if, if, if the majority of the country was opposed, and that's what the polling said, the vast majority of the country was opposed to same-sex marriage, and then within 10 years, the vast majority of the country was in support of it, I just imagine taking people back in time 10 years and having them meet themselves, and I wondered, would they argue? Would they would they argue the way people argue today about any other wedge issue? And it's hard to believe, but that was a wedge issue back in the, the just 10, 20 years ago, right? So yeah. I, I thought... 
I want to know what happened in their brain. And then if I can understand that, maybe that's something we could use to reach out to people today who see things differently on all manner of issues. Mm -hmm. And our motivated reasoning is skewed these days with social media because many only get to see the opinions they already agree with, right? Yeah, and they seek them out. And one of the things that that the Internet has given us is the power to group up over just about anything very quickly. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we group up over just an anxiety or a fear or or at the worst of our, uh, in our worst moments, our prejudices and our uh, political ideologies and so forth. And once you get grouped up and you're only having conversations with people who share those viewpoints, it's hard to imagine that there are people who share your values and who consider the same problems problems, but might be interpreting evidence differently or coming to different uh, methods of of approaching things. So yeah, uh, we are in a strange information ecosystem now where it's very easy to get sort of locked into a a in-group. And once you're in an in-group, the science suggests we will pursue belonging over accuracy every time. (gasps) Belonging (laughs) over accuracy? Oh, God. That's amazing. There's a social scientist, there's a sociologist in the book. I spent uh, a great afternoon with her. Her name is Brooke Harrington. She's a sociologist who told me the equals MC square of social science is the fear of social death is greater than the fear of physical death. And in any situation where we feel our reputation is at stake or our identity, our inclusion, if we fear that there's ostracism or shame on the horizon, we will put that ahead of anything else, and to the point that we'll put it ahead of our own mortality. And I think we've, we've seen that recently with the reaction to um, COVID as a good example, but we mm-hmm. also see it through all sorts of other things like war and other, uh, other, other situations where reputation becomes front and center. Unfortunately, it also becomes front and center in just about any debate that we feel like our identity is at stake, and that includes politics all, often. I have my own theory about belonging over accuracy, and maybe I'll bring it up in a minute, but first I want to go oh, back. Oh, I'd like to hear it. Would you really right now? Of course. I'm going to tell you this, and this is just from my own Casey world. I come from like a spiritual place, you know. I'm I'm not of mm-hmm. this earth. I'm more of a universal soul. When okay. you feel, when I feel my most connected to the universe, I don't care about anybody's opinion. I don't need to belong yeah. to anybody because I already belong to the universe. And I know that sound may sound crazy, but... <laughs> Um, it doesn't sound crazy. It sounds like identity. It sounds yeah. like that's who you are. And if that's under threat, that's what you'll be concerned with. But if uh, if someone is coming along and asking you <laughs> questions that are outside of that frame, A-OK. But if, mm-hmm. if somebody starts saying, hey, you're not connected to the universe, what are you thinking? That's when the emotions will rise. Right. And then it's like, well, uh, you know, oh, so what? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just think in my world, I don't know is like my favorite phrase. Like, I, I don't know. Oh, well, that, that puts you in a very specific category. There's, a, there's actually science behind that. Uh, there's a, I don't like the terminology. They call it uh, scientific curiosity. But uh, I think that it's better if you just imagine it, that they're on a spectrum. Uh, nature and nurture has put us into this wide spectrum where there are people on one end who, when they discover, discover that they are wrong about something. When they discover new information that rearranges their understanding, it feels good. You Mm. get this dopamine response. And that being a spectrum, there are people who, when they feel that, they feel very threatened, challenged, that maybe they look like they're 
foolish for having believed something. But there is a certain personality type that is very open to changing their mind, and it's because you, it feels good to be illuminated and rearranged. And uh, I think that's fantastic. Oh, David McCraney, this is like the best. Thank you so much. I'm in that group, <laughs> and and I'm going to tell you why because maybe it's in your book too. I gave up shame. And I gave up pride when I realized they're two sides of the same coin. You know, you'll never hear me say I'm yeah. proud of something and, and, and I've done some stuff. I'm not proud of it. I'm happy because it happened. Because if I, was, if I failed, what am I supposed to be ashamed? No, it's just a waste of time. Pride and shame are both a waste of time. You know, illuminate me, change me. I'm only here for a short time. Let me, let me try to get as much as I can. But first, David McCraney, we have mm-hmm. to go back to that person in the audience who said, I have a family member in the, the, the QAnon cult conspiracy or whatever it was. Can I mm-hmm. get them out? How would you answer them now? We resist changing our mind. No matter who you are, you're going to resist a little bit because it's just sort of built into us that we walk a tightrope. And uh, the tightrope is if I update when I shouldn't, that's dangerous because I will come wrong. And if I don't update when I should, that's dangerous because I might stay wrong. So at the base level, we're, we tend to err on the side of what we already understand about the world. But then if you start adding in all these other motivations, the resistance gets stronger. And it could just be simply like, um, my job is under threat or, or uh, this is going to make me look foolish. But as we said earlier, it's these these group ish things, these social primate things that give us the highest uh, feeling of threat and highest resistance. So a person in a conspiratorial community, it's the community part that's driving it more than anything. The conspiracy is almost irrelevant. The, the facts of the matter within the conspiracy, the, the justifications that they're producing, those are largely irrelevant to what, where the resistance is coming from. It's coming from the fact that they don't want to lose those social connections. They don't want to get ostracized by that group. So the people that I met writing the book, I, I went to like Westboro Baptist Church. I talked to people in a number of conspiratorial communities. I talked to people who had left those sort of groups. The off-ramping of how they escaped is usually the someone outside of that community who may even be in the community that that group actively hates and, 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 and protests against. Someone in that community, through compassionate, open, transparent, non-judgmental listening, offered a space for that person to discuss the issue. And it was the very idea that someone outside the group would do such a thing that sort of the crack that let in the light. And then they learn through conversation that their values that they're trying to, to uh, express and have nurtured in one community could be nurtured and expressed in a different community that doesn't have quite as many drawbacks. And they tend to put a foot in two worlds. And once a foot is in two worlds, they start becoming open to evidence they weren't open to before. And once that happens, the person can very easily and quickly move out of that community. And once they're out, their minds change about all sorts of things. So if it's a family member, you know, the first thing lesson is to offer that space for compassionate, non-judgmental listening. And then you can employ one of the more specific persuasion techniques that I recommend, which is ask for some sort of specific claim that they have, something that they feel strongly confident about, something that they're certain about within the conspiratorial mindset, and then just say, on a measure from zero to ten, how certain are they that this is true? Most people won't say ten, and when they give you a number, ask them, why does that number feel right to them? 
and just keep that space open. Keep the conversation on their side of, of reasoning and help explore it. Oftentimes, just doing that one thing, a person will on their own come to realize that, hmm, there are other ways to see this and maybe I haven't done my due diligence. And it's just that little nudge that starts building the momentum in the, in the direction of change. We need to be the crack that lets in the light if we want to change the world. Is that it? That's it. That's it. We need to be the crack you got it. that lets in the light <laughs> and offer that safe place to either side. And you have to be secure yourself to be, to make the crack and sit there with somebody else's stuff. Sometimes you can't help. I mean, especially if the person is actively saying they hate you. That's one thing. But if in, in any conversation where there's conflict, you're going to have this instinct to push, to get what you want out of it. And we react to being pushed by pushing back, and then you will push back harder, and you'll get into a loop where the conversation is ruined, and maybe even the relationship. So even when you feel that urge, you have to put task yourself to, okay, I'm not going to push. I'm going to keep this open. I'm going to keep this space open for this other person to, to show me where do we connect on these values? Do we have similar goals? And if you can maintain that, it's not easy, you'll have much more success in these sorts of situations. Right. David McCraney, How Minds Change. Do you have any science in the book about what goes on in our brains when we change our mind? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a At the level of just neurons like uh, there's a process called assimilation and accommodation these sort of two processes that are always happening at the same time assimilation is when we are faced with something that's new novel or it's ambiguous it's uncertain we try to reach certainty or disambiguate as they say by fitting it into our existing models our existing understanding interpreted as confirmation even of our models accuracy accommodation on the other hand is when you acknowledge the models you have are incomplete or incorrect, and you must update it. You must create a new level of abstraction to incorporate something that you hadn't seen before. The way I can explain that without using all these little sciencey things is that it's uh, it's like when a child sees a dog for the first time, and you say, "Look, a dog," and they think, "Oh, non-human, furry, four legs, tail, dog." And then they see a horse one day, and they point at it and say, <laughs> "Look, dog, dog big dog." <laughs> <laughs> and, and you say, no, 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 that's a horse. Well, something incredible happens in the mind of a child at that moment. They realize, oh, there's another category in which these two things fit, creatures, animals, and so on. They literally have to expand their mind to accommodate that. And we're doing that all the time. This conversation, even, we're doing that. And you have to have the empathy for the fact that people are going to desire assimilation more than accommodation to sort of stay the thing that brought them to the situation, once these models get very complex, we're going to want to assimilate and accommodate. So a lot of resistance comes from that. But we are always open to changing our minds if we can get that resistance level down and, and find a way to go, oh, this would be useful to me to expand my mind in this regard. Oh, my gosh. We should have that tattooed on every human. It would be useful for me to expand my mind uh, in all regards. So belonging over accuracy and assimilation over accommodation. Yeah, I mean, there, it's, a, it's a matter of, of like, I, it was really great to hear that you have sort of created a, uh, a value structure. You've created this, this personal mantra of I will be open. And the way you got out of, got in that space was I'm not going to let shame take me over. I'm not going to let my reputation management guide me. I'm going to take control over that. And this is something you can offer other people as well. If you're already in that state of mind, or you think that you're in that state of mind more often than not, 
it's uh, it's a gift that you can offer other people, and you can give that gift just through the power of non-judgmental listening and, and proper conversation that avoids conflict, avoids that debate frame where you're trying to win, and ho- and you hope they lose so that you can stay right and they can stay wrong. Right. Oh, I don't want to listen to people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I have enjoyed this so, so, so very much. All right. Um, can't wait to read more. And David McCraney, you are a genius and such a motivator. And uh, what else do we need to know about you and all the things you're doing? Hey, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm just at David McCraney. All my You Are Not So Smart stuff at youarenotsosmart.com. And everything else is at davidmccraney.com. And this book, How Minds Change, it's uh, taken up about five years of my life, so I'm eager for people to, to read it and let me know what they think and see how it helps. And you know what? It is going to make that ripple that's going to be part of the wave that gets us to a better place. Do you know that, David McCraney? That's all I want. Thank you so much. David McCraney, author of How Minds Change. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. I hope to see you soon at the Market on the River at our retreat in August. Visit caseysplace.com. Stop by. Our thought for the day is for Mark Twain, who said, Wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have rather talked. Shana. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine On.